Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for another episode on the Now of Work. Uh, you might know by now I have this particular passion around women who work, and I'm bringing to light a whole series of voices around women in the workplace. It's such an important topic. It's actually a pandemic within a pandemic that nobody's talking about enough, but one person is. One one of many voices is talking a lot about this, and that's why I've invited Mita Malik to be my guest today. Mita is the head of inclusion, equity, and impact at Carta. She's a columnist for Sway. Her writing has been published in the Harvard Business Review. She just released an incredible piece that we're going to talk about. Uh, the New York Post Business Insider used to head diversity at Unilever. Is that right, Mita? I can't wait to talk about that and so much more. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Mita, for being my guest today and welcome to the Now of Work. Jess, thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, absolutely. So everybody should be following you on LinkedIn. Everybody should be reading your amazing writing and your amazing work. Um, but for those of you who don't know Mita Malik yet. Well, yes, Mita Malik, first and foremost, is a mother to a five and eight-year-old. People will laugh when I say this, funny and not funny. It's week 48 of the pandemic, and I am counting. So it's 48 weeks ago. I started working remotely, like many of us, and failing at being a summer camp counselor, failing at schooling, failing at being a chef and a laundress and all the roles that we have now. And I uh, get yeah, my husband and I are very lucky. We're both still working, which I know we'll talk about momentarily, uh, holding it down in our urban condo and doing the best we can. And uh, we're lucky to be working from home because I know so many people are not at this time. And I want to say thank you and honor all of our frontline workers who are keeping our economy going. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we are privileged. I, th I think that every single day I have a job that I absolutely love and I'm passionate about and I get to keep doing it. And I was already virtual. Uh, that wasn't a, an adjustment I had to make, uh, but massive adjustments for so many people across the board. Uh, and for a sub, I'm just going to dive right in, Mita. Here we go. For a subset of the working population who was already doing a disproportionate share of labor on the home front, this suddenly became backbreaking during the pandemic. And your, uh, your recent article uh, breaks that down a little bit. So let's, let's get into that slowly, perhaps. Um, and that is how to bring women back into the workplace, because we're losing women in droves uh, because of this, this impact of the, of the pandemic. Yeah, I'll start from a very personal place, which is that I am very lucky to be working still. And I have very mixed emotions about that because I have a lot of women in my life who have shut down businesses, who are struggling to keep their businesses open, who have been let go and or who had to make the decision to no longer work because their families came first as they should. And I am the proud daughter of Indian immigrant parents. I was born and raised here with my younger brother in the US. And my uh, parents are from Calcutta. My dad's mother was married when she was 12 years old. And my mother's mother was married when she was 10 years old. They were both child brides. They married men in their 20s. They had very large families and they were remarkable women. And I always knew that growing up, but as you grow up and grow into yourself and you realize what it means to be 10 and 12 and to be married off because you don't have a choice, we know that's still happening around the world. So that drives me a lot because I, you can see 
I can see in myself as I talk to you today, Jess, that the progress that can happen for women in just less than three generations, right? And that is a lot about education, economic independence, and all those things are, that are related. And to watch what's happening as a result of the pandemic is just devastating because it's more than just for me, three generations that have been now, um, not now wiped out. So that's personally why this is important to me. It's personally why I fight every day to keep working still. Um, and that's not easy. Oh, Mita, so many things. You're absolutely right that we're not that far removed. We like to celebrate progress, which we should, um, but we're not that far removed from so many significant milestones we've achieved. It hasn't been that long since we've achieved some measure of equality and parity and representation in the workforce, in leadership and authority positions. Yes, we've made progress, not enough progress, and it hasn't been in place long enough to sustain itself. And now we're seeing a backslide, which I too, like I saw the, the title of your most recent article. And there are so many articles, not enough. We're not talking enough about it, but there are so many articles that are, that are driving home the fact that we've lost progress. And every day we don't address the fact that women are fleeing the workforce or being forced out of the workforce, or they feel like they're hand is being forced. They have to make unfortunate decisions. We should never have to decide between raising a family and raising a career. Absolutely. And we all know the stats, but we'll say them again, which is that 5 million women have become unemployed since the start of this pandemic. We're almost hitting up on a year anniversary, at least from the U.S. perspective, when many companies started to go uh, remote. We know that over 2 million women have completely disappeared from the workforce. And for three working mothers unemployed, there's one working father who has lost his job. And so I wrote the piece just because we all know the stats, as you were saying, but what are we going to do about it? And what can I do about it? And I just sort of thought, what can I do about it except write a piece and put out thought leadership on what companies can be doing now? And even in the piece, when I say post-pandemic, we know that there's really not going to be some moment on June 30th where the world goes back to the way it was. It will be a slow transition. And so it was just some of the thoughts I had, which we can talk about, and clearly not enough, because we need everybody to ideate on this topic of how we're getting women back to work. That's just it. It does take, uh, it takes thought leaders like you talking about it and laying out actionable strategies and ideas, but it takes leaders, it takes business owners, it takes um, entrepreneurs, it takes policy and decision makers, it takes men and women, it takes everyone to commit to daily actions, daily behaviors, make small commitments that turn into big commitments. That's, that's what we can do. We can't make the pandemic stop. <laughs> we can't reverse the job loss numbers overnight, but we can get creative and we can get bold and innovative and say, I don't care if this has never been done before, I'm gonna do it. I'm going to try it. I'm going to meet this person, one person at a time where they are to allow her to contribute in the way that she can. So let, I would love to break this down, Mita, because I really do think it's important to get specific. 
sure, and, to, sure. and to share ideas with people that feel like, well, I think I could do that. That's a great idea. Why has nobody done this before? So what are some of the things that you talked about in that piece? Yeah. I mean, one of the first things I talked about is why not a pandemic leave of absence? Why not if I need to stay home and, and listen, I am, I am a working mother of a five and eight year old. So I come from a particular perspective. We know that when we break the stats down in terms of intersectionality, it's much worse. We also know that older women are also leaving the workforce in terms of gener intergenerational differences. So women are not a monolith, right? But I'm talking specifically from the, the lens of working mothers who are struggling with uh, caregiving and continuing to wanting to make impact in their careers. So if I decide I have to take some time off, give me 12 to 18 months off and cover my benefits and let me know that when I'm ready to come back, that I will be not necessarily the same role, but the same level and the same pay. Because also what happens as you know, as we all know, is when you take time off for whatever reason, you are then, there's the bias that comes in. What's the gap? What was she doing? What were they doing? And now that time is not accounted for, right? It's your, your setback. Um, yeah. and, you know, this is where um, I think just you and I would agree that corporations need to step up in terms of, and not to get into a political um, debate, but knowing the Family Medical Leave Act, knowing in this country, we don't have enough federal policy and support yet in this space. So it's sort of like asking yourself as a leader, what side of history do you wanna be on in this moment where you can make impact, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the first things. I think the second thing, and then would, would love your reactions to this as well, but like getting people to, again, really break their bias on what I'm calling the pandemic gap year. It'll probably be more than that, but really training people. And then also for me to be really honest, if I'm coming to interview with you to say, hey, I was out for a year and a half because of the pandemic and that you would say, that's fine. Let's talk about your experience. And actually, if you're running a household or caregiving, there's so many skills and so many things that you're doing that it's not that you just took a year off uh, as a vacation, no. And so I think having those honest conversations, leaders leaning in and saying, I don't care if you were home for a year and a half, great. I want you on my team. Let's talk about your skill set. So I think those are, we can, we can talk about much more, but those are two of the things that were really top of mind. I love that. You know, and that's one of the issues with, um, I, I love that maternity leave has become paternity leave and we're, we're becoming more accepting of the fact that parents do need time to step uh, into their family and perhaps away from work for longer than, you know, the time that it takes to physically heal. Like you actually need to focus on, on family and get your household squared away um, after introducing a new family member, after such a significant milestone. This is also a significant milestone. And, and I love putting that, um, that same lens on it. But those of us, I'll say moms, but parents, who have stepped away for maternity leave, however short, even if it was just like the bare minimum, um, re-entering the same workforce, even if your job was protected and you're able to return to the same job or at least the same employer, um, there is a lot of bias that goes with that. You feel like you've missed so much. You miss, you, you're sort of, you're no longer an insider and you have to re-enter in a different way than you felt when you left. And you feel like you need to make up ground and reestablish credibility and understand what's going on in the business in a way that you can contribute 
in a valuable way again. And so the longer you, you step out, the bigger that gap and that bias, potential bias becomes. Um, and, and it's unfortunate. I love the idea around job protection. Let me step back with the safety and the peace of mind that my job and salary is protected. At least let's not lose that number. The fact that I have a job and I have earned a salary, um, hopefully that is fair and equitable. If we can at least baseline that and protect that, um, that, that can protect the women who were already working in situations that suited them. Absolutely, and if you can't do that, Another great option that I talk about is returnship programs and HubSpot and my good friend Katie Burke, who's the CHRO there and they're leading fantastic work out of Boston and, and a global company. But HubSpot is one of the many great returnship programs so that if you have stepped out for the workforce for a bit, it's an apprenticeship program, right? And many companies have this where you're spending X number of weeks I'm on Justice team, I'm on a special project, I'm shadowing, I'm getting, I'm running something for several weeks. And then you're sort of evaluating me at the end to say, yeah, great, we're gonna bring you on now. But it's a test for both of us, right? It's a test for you and it's a test for me. And so that's another, you know, there, there are so many different options that we should all be thinking about now and, and how you can start, how you can start scaling those things. That's fantastic. I love your third, tip and it's a it's a great i hate calling it a tip uh implementing diverse slates of candidates my goodness if we haven't made enough progress yet on diversity i don't know what it's going to take but i do see progress being made I do. yeah <clears throat> and, you know i think it's a great it's a great tip now and forever but it will be even more important as you look yeah. at the stats and so many women have left the workforce it's going to be even more important to make sure that you are tracking diverse slates and whether that's the rich talent group, Matheson, Autolist, there are so many great recruiting firms who can help, who, as you study some of these firms, they are, one of their first principles and values is about inclusion, right? So if you're working with recruiting firms right now and they're not providing you diverse slates, then you should rethink about that relationship and the contract, right? But that is, you know, if you, if you sit, the talent is out there, and if we are self-segregating ourselves, we won't see the talent. And so I think it's important to ask for help if you don't have access to the talent. Absolutely. And as a, as a former recruiting professional, I grew up on that side of the talent and HR space. Um, I get excited in a weird way. This is one of the things that I got excited about. If you can get excited about anything that has to do with a pandemic, um, we've removed a bunch of excuses when it comes to diversity. You can no longer say, my company is based in Omaha. We don't have a diverse pool of candidates from which to draw because this isn't a particularly diverse city. Like that's not an excuse anymore. Now that we have proved that we can and will and do work from anywhere, guess what? The world is your candidate pool now. And more people are unemployed, again, unfortunate, but more people are unemployed or open to hearing about opportunity because we've considered lots more ways of working than we ever could before. We can consider employers that we might not have considered before because it's literally work from anywhere. And as people are, as, as the workforce is literally shifting in front of our eyes, we're seeing entire sectors and verticals industries decimated, right, by the pandemic. And they're not going to come back in the same way 
that they existed before travel, retail, hospitality. I mean, there's, you know, there are, there are literally segments of the workforce that may need to find a new industry to work in, which again is exciting. And more people are considering gig or freelance work or entrepreneurship, solopreneurship that they might not have considered before because we're all getting creative. So I love this sort of morphing and shifting of the workforce that we're seeing. And again, removing physical geographic boundaries from the mix, there are no excuses. There is talent literally everywhere. So get really specific about the kinds of capabilities, the kinds of skills that would be great in your roles. Forget like you have to have worked in this industry before, so many years of experience, like forget all of that stuff and understand the human skills and capabilities, resilience, agilities, all those soft skills that would be fantastic in your role. And suddenly you have a richer, more diverse candidate pool than you have ever had access to before. This is a massive opportunity for diversity hiring in my mind. I couldn't agree more. I have nothing left to say, <laughs> but it's true. You And for candidates, you don't have to work in X location. You don't have to live in X location to get access to that company. Right. So the world is the candidate's oyster as well as the companies. And so I think if anything, you know, it's hard to think about silver linings during this time, but that is one of the silver linings, right? Of all of so many of us working remotely to realize you can hire talent anywhere. They don't have to be sitting in your office. And you know? I do think if 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 firms are going to embrace the silver lining and say, wow, we have the biggest opportunity we've ever had to consider a richer pool of candidates than we've ever had access to before. I would suggest that those employers do a bit of additional work. You can't just say, okay, we've got a diversity hiring strategy, a diversity recruiting strategy now. Please do the additional work to make sure that your selection process, I saw a stat in your, in your uh, article, which is fascinating to me, the two, two in the pool effect, yes. a woman's odds of getting hired are 79 times greater if there are two woman candidates as finalists. Is that true? It is true. <laughs> it's, a, it's another uh, piece of research from Harvard Business Review and, and please take a look at it for anyone listening. But it is this idea that, so if I am on a final slate and there's four other, let's say, white men. If it's me and Jess, and then three other white men, all of a sudden, let's say me as the underrepresented ta group, talent from that group, is not all of a sudden somebody who is, is the different one, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that is what the two in pool effect talks about, is that you know the, the bias that you can have as a hiring manager, right? when you look at the final slate yeah. and making sure there's enough diversity of representation on that slate. And, you know, also thinking about, I was just talking to someone about this um, not too long ago, and you'll appreciate this, but stopping using the language diverse talent and diverse hire. A slate can be diverse. It's a group of individuals we can say diverse slate, but really talking about talent and talking about talent from underrepresented groups. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the, you know, using that example, the two in the pool effect, the additional work 
I talk about when it comes to like, you can't just say, okay, we're, you know, we're, we've got a, we've got a diversity hiring strategy. Please ensure that your entire process from, from cradle to grave allows, like you can draw and attract a diverse slate of candidates, but does your process allow them to be as successful to advance in an equal, equitable, fair way that they have the greatest chance possible of being selected, that the, that the interview process is inclusive, that the hiring manager feedback process, are there people on the interview panel who look like me, who, you know, will I be given opportunity, is somebody going to coach and guide me on the culture of this company um, if I am an underrepresented um, profile that, that would exist here. I mean, there are so many things that we can do to ensure that our process truly creates an environment that is rich for talent to thrive. I couldn't more. They're not currently represented. Like you've got to do some additional work to make sure that they're, that we can be successful. You know this from your background and expertise in recruiting, you have to have the foundation and the fundamentals in place. If we're both going through a process for the same role, why is it that I might have to have five more interviews than you? Because I'm not sure if I have chemistry with Nita. Not sure if she'd be a culture fit. I don't know if I could see myself having a drink with her, right? All these things that go through our heads. And I'll tell you, um, especially over video now, we have to be really careful, right? Of how much time we're taking where I hear friends going through processes where it's like 25 interviews over Zoom, like over the course of X weeks. Why, right? right? This is the new way of working. So what is it that you're uncomfortable about me that you feel like you need to keep chatting with me? Because listen, it's really about skills fit. What's the, pro what's the job description? What are my skills? Can I actually do the job? And what potential do I have to grow with the company, right? What can you teach me on the job? And then values fit. Right, this idea of culture fit is that's where I think the bias will start to come in. Right. I had somebody say to me, Well, you know, if if my if I, I would trust my person to watch this kid, my kids, right? Like that could be a barometer of a value. And another friend said, Well, I don't have kids and I don't like kids. So what what where are we sort of like the biases that we bring in on how we judge people? Right. And so you have to be really careful about that. Yeah, I I, I agree. There I Culture fit is one of those buzzwords that I love to destroy <laughs> as well. Like, how are you going to diversify your workforce and invite uh, thought, you know, diversity of voice and thought and lived experiences and value systems, that, you know, that that might be, you know, that might not be exactly the same. Like, how do we how do we avoid this affinity bias? You do it by looking for not for cultural fit. That is affinity bias. Um, you, you do it by challenging yourself to bring somebody to the table who might challenge you. I, I say that, you know, one of the things I say is that it's really, to, it's really easy for me to be an inclusive leader if my team acts like me, looks like me, and thinks like me. Yeah, it's easy to be inclusive. Yeah, I'm an inclusive leader, right? Like one of the hardest parts about leadership is listening to points of view and deeply listening to points of view that you don't agree with. Mm -hmm. I think this is something we're struggling with as an epidemic in our country is like, how can you learn and understand from a point of view that's different than yours? 
and, and seek to understand and seek empathy for an experience that's not your own. Yeah, absolutely. That was that was something that was particularly interesting to me as a as a political election played out in the United States over the past year. Uh, there was so much divide, uh, and and the the very variance of opinions. Uh, those, I mean, the spectrum was wide, and and the extremes were were quite extreme. And I thought, okay, if, if we're really talking about inclusivity and empathy and accept in creating environments of acceptance and non-judgment. Ooh, this gets really tough when you get into uh, strong political views, but that's really what it means. It means honoring and showing respect for opinions that might be vastly different than your own. It doesn't mean you have to agree with anything, but honoring, honoring the person um, and the fact that they have an opinion uh, anyway, yeah, that was, that was, um, it's challenging. It can be challenging to say, I'm going to, uh, listen to points of view that might be vastly different, uh, than my own. And, uh, and we can agree to disagree. Yes, it is. And that's my job all day, every day. Right. So I think, you know, not, but it is, it's taking steps towards that seek to understand and allow space for someone to share something that you might not have expected to hear or something that you don't agree with. But if you want to build a relationship with that person and care, um, that's, the, that's the starting point. And I would say, you know, our, our companies are just as divided as our families, right? You see it in your yeah. own families. And so um, I still love all of my family very dearly. And so thinking about how can I just learn about a different point of view that I didn't expect. Absolutely. So the fifth way that you talk about returning women to the workforce post-pandemic, whenever that might be, <laughs> uh, and I love this one because it's a need overall. It's a huge need as the, you know, we read stats all the time about the, the types of jobs and the number of jobs that don't even exist today Absolutely. that we're going to see come come to bear in the next 10 to 15 years. So we should already be thinking about reskilling, but tell me about your fifth tip, reskilling yeah. women to get them back in the workforce. You are listening to Jess and I today, Apple, Amazon, Google, Facebook, they have all done very, very well in this pandemic. Very, very well. And think about yourself as a consumer. I've got every streaming subscription I don't leave my house often. I'm having things delivered. I have the privilege to do that as many of us are doing. And they have made healthy profits. And so a moral business obligation to reinvest those profits to help rescale women, right? At scale. If anyone can do it, those companies could do it together. They could. Absolutely. You know, I, I think when we really think about it, you said it's a moral business obligation, and I agree. I, I also think just from a pure uh, financial economic perspective, we cannot see economic recovery without women. Without women. And you have all of these, as you're saying, jobs that we don't even know yet, right? The future of work is now, but they're jobs. We don't even know what these jobs will look like. And we know from the stats, there's not enough talent available in some of these technical roles that they're all, we're all scrambling, looking to fill. Okay, and then you have a group of individuals who have left the workforce and they're looking to return. It's a solve for everybody, right? It is, it's a solve for the company and the person who is seeking meaningful employment again. So for me, that's a no brainer. That's how I feel about number five. <laughs> 
Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, businesses, um, I've had so many conversations lately about the business of caring. <laughs> and I, I can't believe that this is such a novel concept. Uh, but I think, I think this is a huge moment in history. I think it's a, a great opportunity um, for us to finally put people first uh, and start realizing that you, have, you, you need happy, safe employees who feel empowered and feel like their values align with company values. And, and by creating that, by creating that, that um, in your workforce, your customers care too. And they care about how you treat your workforce, your people. They care about your business ethics, your values and your principles. Like we are all consumers and uh, a member of the working population, perhaps both, but we are all consumers. And more and more, I think companies are realizing how much it matters, more than lip service, how much it truly matters, how we treat people, not just as customers because your wallet matters to me, but how we treat our own people and put them in a position to deliver to customers. I love that point because the one thing I'll say is you might read the piece and you say, well, these are all you know, big ideas for big companies. I'm just a leader in a small company. This doesn't, this doesn't actually apply to me because right? I don't work at Amazon or Apple, go talk to them. And I would say, think about what you're doing to keep working mothers in the workforce. I am still shocked, Jess, when I talk to people and there's this, still this idea of core operating hours. Core operating hours, what? Like it is, it is a pandemic, people. Like prioritize what you need to get done, stop the work that never mattered in the first place and listen to your people when they say, this is, this is, this is all I can get done for now and these are the priorities as I see them. And this idea that there's visible work hours, right? Why should it matter if I'm working early in the morning or late at night, as long as we've agreed that Jess, I owe you this uh, deliverable by Friday, it's done. And then, you know, the next thing that I'm, I'm really excited seeing more and more companies doing is the four day work week for five days of pay, it's time. So there's so many things you can be doing now that are flexible work options. If, if I am gonna come and resign to you, you will honor that if that is what I want, but you should also try to do your best to see if there's anything you can do to support me, to keep me working on your team in this moment. And that is so critical, Mita, and, and we can close on this. I have to remind myself a lot because um, I have a voice and I feel empowered to use it. And I'm in a culture, a leadership environment, and even an industry that invites me to advocate for myself. I, I have a psychological uh, safety and, uh, and a sense about myself where I feel like I can ask for creativity, flexibility, accommodation, should I need it. I have to remind myself, I literally have to check myself every so often to remember that not everybody is in a position to self-advocate. They don't have, they don't feel they have the credibility, the position, the influence. They might just not have the self-confidence. Maybe they're, they're not in a position where they feel like they deserve protection. And, and so, so this is a, a case of privilege maybe, but it's also re remembering that an, an underrepresented member of the working population is underrepresented. They're, even just asking for accommodation feels like a big leap <laughs> from where I am and where I'd like to be held in esteem. And, and that's, a, that's a big leap to ask somebody to make um, when they don't 
when, when they might actually feel at risk. If I speak up, I'm just going to be a troublemaker and who am I to, to ask for this? And so it really does take leaders and we're all leaders. I don't care what your position or your title is and how many people you manage. It takes leaders to say, I am going to advocate. I'm, we need advocates and activism to say, this is important and we can do this for everyone because we can't rely on individuals to, you know, to say, my God, my back is breaking. Can you please help me? Um, we, that bottom up approach is okay, but it's not going to lead to broad systemic change that we can actually see in a, in a, in a period of time that matters. We need leaders, structures, systems, organizations to say, we can do this and we can implement change at scale because it matters. Well, again, you couldn't have said it better. I, this is my life's work for this reason. I wish that throughout my life, I had had more people advocating for me because there were moments where my voice was taken away. I was bullied a lot growing up. Uh, both verbally and physically. Unfortunately, I've been bullied in the workplace as I, I know the story of many individuals from underrepresented groups. And so now I'm in a position where I wanna change that for others. And I don't want anyone to ever feel that way. Cause here's the deal. If I can bring the best version of myself to work I am gonna not only uh, the sky's the limit for me the sky's the limit for the company I work for. Like th this is just a no brainer. And so that's the work we continue to do Jess. Oh, Mina. So your kids are five and eight. What do you hope the world of work looks like when they're in the workforce? Oh, gosh, that they're valued and recognized and that they know they can be whatever they want to be and do whatever they want to do. I keep saying there are two things I want for my kids. I want them to be kind and I want them to be off the family payroll. So <laughs> they're still young, but independent, whatever you do, right? To be independent, live on your own. Yeah. Earn a meaningful paycheck and to be kind. Yes. It's one of the most underrated qualities, I think. Oh, I tell my kids that all the time. You have one job. Wake up and be kind every day. Can you imagine if everybody woke up and did that like it was their job? Yes. What a world. Nita, thank you so much for being my guest. Everybody should follow Nita Malik on LinkedIn. And we're going to share your incredible article in Harvard Business Review in these show notes. But you've got lots of writing out there, lots of thought leadership. Um, if we all just take a moment to learn and listen to something that we don't know about, that, you know, ask good questions, get, get ourselves outside our comfort zone and understand something that we didn't understand yesterday, I think we can make some progress. Thank you so much for having me.